What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm so grateful for your support. I'm so grateful for your presence. And in case you weren't aware, Thrive is an acronym that stands for thoughts, habits, relationships, intention, vitality, and embodiment. And this is an acronym that I created to really create a framework to teach you the things that we never learned in school. And my intention with this podcast is to bring on world-renowned guests to break down their success, their breakthroughs, their obstacles that they've overcome to create massive amounts of success, health, and wealth in their life. So I'm so grateful that you're here. And now let's get to today's episode. But before we start with today's episode, I wanted to make an announcement that I'm so excited about. I just launched my Magic of Microdosing free course. This free course has over 10 videos where I really break down the neuroscience of microdosing and talk about how this medicine can potentially lead to massive transformation and healing in your life. So if you've been curious about implementing this medicine, this is a great resource for you to tap into. And again, it's 100% free. So make sure to visit the website magicofmicrodosing.com or just hit the link in the show notes below. Much love, y'all. I am super excited for you to hear today's conversation with the one and only Dustin Robinson. And Dustin is a leader within the cannabis and psychedelic ecosystems and has been ranked by Psychedelic Invest as the top 100 most influential people in psychedelics. Dustin is the founding partner of Mr. Cannabis Law, which is a full service law firm exclusively focused on the cannabis and psychedelic industries. In addition to all of that, Dustin also co-founded Nucleus, which is a platform with various tools to help guide individuals on their mental health journey. Within the platform, participants can access their emotional health, find treatments, journal their experiences, and fully own all of their documented health data along the way. In addition to all of that, Dustin is just a powerful leader in the psychedelic space. He's innovating in a major way. He's also my lawyer in regards to trademarking both of my companies. He is a friend, he is a mentor, and he is absolutely a leader in this space. And you are going to learn so much just about the legality of psychedelics in this podcast and also about Dustin's personal journey with this medicine and really where he sees the psychedelic space evolving in the next one year, three years, 10 years. And I think you are going to be mind blown from this conversation. So without further ado, my brother, my guy, my lawyer, my attorney, the one and only Dustin Robinson. Let's go. What is up? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast with my brother, Dustin Robinson, my dude. I'm glad we're finally making this happen. Absolutely. It's been a long time in the making. I'm happy we're finally here and able to to rap a little bit. Hey, we got a lot to talk about. Um, You're a man who's got a lot going on. (laughs) So we have Eater Investments. We have Nucleus, Mr. Cannabis Law and Mr. Psychedelic Law. I mean... 
I know this might be a challenging question, but which of these things at this moment is lighting you up the most? Is the thing that is really exciting you and inspiring you every day? Yeah, it is a hard question, but, but hands down eater investments, that's my investment fund. The reality is, you know, our, our fund, we're focused on deploying capital into the psychedelic space. And I got tremendous conviction around the psychedelic space, the research that's coming out, you know, the companies we've invested in. And the reality is, is, you know, whether people like it or not, you know, capital is really necessary to really propel this industry and hopefully heal a lot of people, billions of people potentially. So, you know, really that's where my focus is. It's, you know, we've, we raised our first fund. We're going to be raising a second fund. And I truly believe this capital that we're deploying has the potential to really heal so many people that are suffering. Mm. And what, what facilitated you, what inspired you to pivot and transition towards the psychedelic space? Because many would look at you and like the success that you're creating in your life and be like, bro, just keep doing what you're doing as a lawyer, right? You were working with Deloitte before, right? Yeah. So what shifted and caused you to make that pivot that some may deem could be very risky? Absolutely. The psychedelic space. Yeah. So, you know, my background, I, I worked at Deloitte, then I worked at Holland and Knight, then I went and ran a manufacturing business, sold that business, and then uh, ended up some stumbling into the cannabis industry, uh, ended up launching my law firm that represented, represents cannabis companies. But it was about four years ago, a doc, I got like within a three week period, I got like four calls from doctors that I represent. My law firm represents a lot of doctors and clinics and whatnot. And the doctors in that few week period were all asking about getting involved in psychedelics. They wanted to either be doing academic collaborations where they were researching or launching ketamine clinics or ketamine telehealth companies. And I was just like, at the time I never tried psychedelics. So I was like, what are all you guys talking about? So they shared some of that research with me. And I was actually just blown away by what I was reading. You know, some of the research out of Johns Hopkins, NYU, Yale, Imperial College of London, really top academic institutions were publishing some tremendous research. So I started representing them in my legal capacity, still not having tried the drugs, but now being actually educated on them, right? And uh, represented them. We launched a bunch of ketamine clinics, academic collaborations. I started investing in deals. Finally, a group of my clients are like, you got to try it. <laughs> like, you can't just not not have tried it and be representing all of us. So I had my, my first psilocybin experience and it was absolutely mind expanding. I mean, I'd already been reading so much about it. So I kind of, you know, was prepared and, and expected a lot out of it, but it blew my mind. So my whole life before that, I was kind of going through thinking that these compounds like turn your brain into mush, right? There's these false social constructs around us that make us believe that. And I never judged anyone. Like I had a lot of friends who were doing that stuff. It just, I just never did it. I thought it was bad for your brain. And then to read this research and then experience it myself, these neural pathways being opened up, these insights, I was like, it is the total opposite of what I thought. Instead of your brain turning to mush, you're opening up neural pathways. And my brain just felt on fire and had so much insight, so much of what happened in that one day has actually led me to what I'm doing today. Um, and since then, it actually almost created some anger inside me that like society, I'm a relatively 
smart individual. I have my CPA license. I have my law degree. I've always done very good in school. I'm red, red, relatively educated. And society has totally fooled me into thinking something uh, was something, what it, what it was totally the opposite. And so that really inspired me. I launched my nonprofit in 2019, focused on legal reform of psychedelics, started investing into deals, um, and then launched my fund April 2021, which is when I really, you know, started raising real amounts of capital and starting to deploy it into the industry. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my story on how I, I pivoted and got into it. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring you in here is because I think we are playing significant roles in rewriting the narrative around psychedelics. I think so many people think of the 1960s, hippies, all of that shit. And now people like yourself, super well put together, super dialed into building something special in your career. And someone who has followed the traditional like educational pathways and, and really exceeded all of those limits. And now you're tapping into this medicine as a tool to create that neuroplasticity, to create more creativity, to create new neural connections and see things that maybe you wouldn't have been able to see before. So I'm curious in terms of your experience implementing this medicine, I noticed you also called it a drug before. So I just want to correct you and call it a medicine. Like since implementing- I, I call it, you know, just cause I work so much on FDA clinical trial stuff and our fund invests. And at the end of the day, it's, it's drug development, right? So I know there, everyone's very sensitive on wording and I, I get that. I don't mean it in drug in the context yeah. of illegal substance. Really, I mean it in the context of medicine, but I, I take your comments and understand them for sure. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, so since- implementing this medicine into your life. What have you noticed on a consistent basis in terms of like mental rigidity within yourself? Have you become more open and expansive in certain ways? Oh my God. Yeah. So like, it's funny. I've gone my whole life. If you look at like all the decisions I've made, it's been like totally what society would tell you to do. So, you know, be disciplined. You know, I played sports in high school, studied accounting, got my master's in accounting, got my CPA, got my law degree, worked at the big firms. Like everything was just like society told me to do it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to check the box. It was just like a very rigid way of thinking. And, and quite frankly, I was for so long, I was very successful in that in heat hitting singles and doubles, you know, singles and doubles, there's nothing wrong with it. But what psychedelics did is it really helped open up my mind from, from a professional perspective that like I was actually under utilizing myself. Why was I content with these singles and doubles? Let's start hitting triples and home runs. So from a professional perspective, starting to really go out there and see that I'm really not operating at my fullest potential. But then at a personal perspective, I've always been crazy disciplined. I once again, I told you I never tried any of these substances before. And what this did is it, it allowed me to open up and take more risk. I'm actually not a very impulsive individual. It's funny because like, I'm single and, you know, girls always say, oh, I like impulsive guys. I am not innately impulsive, right? I like to have structure. I wake up at a certain time. I go to the gym. Um, but so, so I'm, I say no to a lot of things, you know, Hey, we're going on a trip. No, I, you know, we're, I'm going, we're going out late till 4am. No, what psychedelics did, it really helped me open up my mind and realize like those experiences are really what life's about. So quite frankly, over the past few years, since 
I first had my, my first experience, I had so many absolutely incredible experiences. I almost feel like a newborn child, like out there and just exploring the world saying yes to more things and not being so disciplined and uptight and allowing myself to be more impulsive. I love that. And we had a fun, impulsive night at club space <laughs> a couple months ago until uh, 3, 4 a.m. But that that's a conversation for another time. But yeah, I was just thinking similar to what you just mentioned, how like these different psychedelic compounds really reconnect us to part of our inner child. And that inner child craves curiosity. It craves new experiences. It craves novelty. And when we're able to remove some of that mental rigidity, we're able to actually experience this human experience in its entirety, you know, and that's really dope. And it's pretty cool and unique for you to experience that. I'm curious to know, like, what is something maybe that, that this experience, these experiences have taught you to maybe let go of like is parts of your old identity perhaps that are no longer serving you into what you're doing now and stepping into if you want to hit those home runs yeah. by the way i fucking love that by the way like really a reminder like i wrote that shit down to stop settling for singles and doubles like that's the safe approach to life it's a safe approach and you know i i tell people like guys who went out and made a billion dollars set out to go make a billion dollars. No one made a billion dollars. I was like, people who made a hundred million set out to make a hundred million. So what are you setting out to make? If you're setting out to make $200,000 salary, that's what you're, and it goes back to like, you know, manifesting your future, right? If like, that's what you're manifesting and putting out to the world, you're going to make, you, you'll probably get there, right? If you work hard and you, you manifest and execute, you'll, you'll get to that 200. But why set your standards so low? You don't need to be limited to that. You got to go out and set higher expectations, higher standards. I don't mean be greedy or anything. I'm, I'm totally against people like thinking money is the answer to everything. So I, I, when I speak of money in that context, it's really just as like one KPI indicator on whether you're really pushing yourself beyond, you know, what you're currently doing. And I think it's just about every single day getting better and better. And like back to your, your, your comment on like rigidity, what I, what I tell a lot of people, it really has a lot of um, application really in what's going on in, on the medical side of psychedelics, because, you know, children, their brains are very rigid, right? They're, they're like a sponge. They're absorbing everything. And as we get older, our brains become more and more, I'm sorry, they're, they're, they're not rigid as, they're as children. More they're more plastic. And then as we get older, you know, our, our brains start to become more rigid, right? And, and that's a good thing in a way, right? We have all these experiences. So in nanoseconds, our brain is making calculations based on these current experiences and kind of taking shortcuts. It's making assumptions and you're making quick decisions. You're very, you're rigid. You have all these different experiences you're pulling on. And what psychedelics do is they help your, you, you create neuroplasticity, right? So your brain becomes more malleable. So you don't come become so rigid in your thinking. And when you think about things like depression or PTSD or addiction, the problem there is that your brain is so rigid. You're in this constant loop of negative thoughts and you can't get out of it. And what psychedelics do is they basically create that neuroplasticity, right? Where you're not so rigid and you could reprogram process trauma or reprocess your relationship with, with whatever substance you're addicted to. So I really think, you know, when you, when you talk about whether it's on the medical side or on the more spiritual and theogenic side, 
everything that's happening with psychedelics makes perfect sense. And there's so many different use cases um, for psychedelic compounds. So I don't forget your question, but let's circle back. So the question was, well, no, I, th I think what you said, what you, what you just said is really important to understand in terms of, in terms of why these different compounds have been so effective at helping people heal through PTSD or alcoholism, right? Is because we're able to wire the brain in different ways and create new thought patterns, new belief systems, new narratives, and remove some of those old rigid toxic thought patterns or stories that we had programmed in our subconscious mind. And I think one of the things that I found with microdosing and mushrooms in general is that they have a really beautiful way of allowing us to reprogram the subconscious mind in a way that you can't always do through breath work or yoga. While those are very valuable tools, this medicine has a way of like really bringing those deeper rooted issues to the surface. And once you're able to kind of see them, you're able to hopefully face them and process them in a different way. Well, and I think you, right there, you, good, good place to stop because you're absolutely bringing things up from to the surface. And what I always try to tell people is, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? Like I know I, I have, I'm actually going in June to Beckley retreats. I'm having like my first like real ceremonial, intentional five day immersive experience with psilocybin. Um, it's out in Jamaica and you know, my invest, my, my investment fund actually invested in Beckley so very excited to get out there. Um, but what's so important is like ignorance is bliss in a way, because if you have all this trauma inside of you and you bring it to the surface and you don't have the proper support around you, you're not working with a coach Jeremy or someone else who's trained to kind of make sense of all of the stuff that's coming up. You actually could in a way potentially hurt yourself, right? Like ignorance is bliss. Like you have all this trauma. If you just bring it to the surface and you're like, oh my God, I'm, I have all this trauma or, or other issues that I should be dealing with and you don't know what to do with it. It actually could be a bad thing. And that's why the, the, the support you have around psychedelic medicines is so absolutely integral. You see this even, you know, and as we talk, I'm going to flip a lot through kind of the medical and, and more recreational or spiritual use uh, uh, or just wellness use of, of psychedelics. But you see, this even with what MAPS is doing in their phase three trial with MDMA for PTSD, they had absolutely incredible results. They had over two thirds of people that went through their uh, psychedelic MDMA psychedelic assisted therapy. Over two thirds of those people that previously had PTSD were no longer clinically diagnosed with PTSD, written up in Science Magazine as top 10 breakthroughs last year. Absolutely tremendous. Um, but the, Rick Doblin, the, the executive director of MAPS, he's always very clear. It's not just the medicine. You need sufficient support. And that's why they have at, at MAPS, they have very, very specific protocols. And they talk a lot about your yourself as being the self healer, right? So a lot of there's kind of this uh, misconception that the people who are holding space are doing the healing. And if you talk to Rick Doblin, and I don't want to speak on their behalf, but you know, but they talk a lot about this, this inner healer. And a lot of what's happening during this, this MAPS MDMA psychedelic assisted therapy is actually just the, the, the individual going deep within themselves 
and helping f- themselves, helping themselves healed. Right. So it's, it's not like you necessarily, but the, the, the people who are in the room with them are there to create guardrails and help them. <clears throat> and of course, after that, you know, there's integration, there's preparation. And that's when, you know, there's a lot of talk therapy and support, but that support factor, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have that when you do psychedelic, any psychedelic compound really. Yeah. It's so important that you mentioned that. And I honestly feel like in my role as a coach, that is really what I always prioritize is empowering people to really become their own healer and having them understand how much power, potential, and divinity they already have within themselves. And once we're able to kind of remove some of their limiting beliefs and old stories and narratives that no longer serve them, they're able to actually start recognizing this powerful human that is themselves. And that is really incredible when you get to that place of realizing like, you know what, I no longer need this external stimulus. And I think if there's one thing I've learned with the medicine is that I am the medicine, you are the medicine, right? And if you continue to depend on anything external, even though all of these compounds have tremendous healing potential, you start to give that some of that power away, right? Because now, again, you're relying on something external. And I think it's really important to recognize that. And going back to like all of the traumas and shit coming up, without the integration, you're going to just be overwhelmed and confused. And that is why I think a lot of people have hesitation and fear towards like entering the space is because they don't want to have a bad trip. And oftentimes the bad trip in my experience is like either you just lack the systems and the integration and the intention or, or on the other side of the spectrum is like a lot of stuff's coming up to the surface that might be dark, that might be your shadow But that also is where the magic is, because if you have the tools to confront that and face that and work through it, those are where the biggest breakthroughs happen. Yeah, I I always say, and I don't have any sort of research to support this. I usually, you know, I'm I'm very research based. A lot of like my understanding of psychedelics, of course, comes from my own personal experiences and others. But I I really always like to go to science and research. But my, my personal opinion on like bad trips, I think so many of them are caused by people fighting the medicine. Just what you're saying. If the trauma is coming up, that's what you need. It's there. Accept the medicine. Don't fight it. You're not going to, you know, these are not toxic. Like psilocybin is not a toxic compound. Very, you know, to overdose on it, I think is near to impossible. Right. So, you know, understanding your head, you might be thinking, Oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I have this trauma. Like, I need this to end. This is so horrible. I want to, I want to stop. I want to stop. I want to stop. And you're kind of telling yourself this thing and that's giving you your bad trip. But if you just breathe, stop and just accept Mm. this is the medicine it's the medicine it's bringing it up be calm and just accept it right so i think the biggest thing i tell people like for a bad trip like don't fight the medicine just let it go go with the flow yeah it's like the the idea of just being able to fully surrender because so many of us including parts of my past self are addicted to being in control at all times and once you realize that you're actually in control of very little in your life. Like you control the way that you show up, the way that you treat yourself, the way that you treat others, but so much of the other shit, you don't, you don't control that. And once we're able to detach from always being in control, 
it liberates us. Like it creates more freedom and more inner peace. So anyone who's like listening or watching right now, who's super type A, right? Which I think you can probably identify to. You probably are the people that need it the most. Absolutely. I mean, that's the reason why it took me so long to try any different compounds. I wanted to be in control. I was not willing to give up control. But what's interesting about these compounds is if if you set the right intent and you're at like the right mental state. And this is why I don't necessarily like advocate for like use even young early on, like at a young age or or even uh, maybe even into your later 20s, I think is even better. Like I'm very grateful that I waited as long as I did because I was at the mental place where I feel like I control the medicine, the medicine doesn't control me, right? If you set that intent of what you're trying to get out of the medicine, you will be able to manifest that intent during the session and thereafter, right? So I think also just, you know, kind of setting intent to me as kind of a person who still likes to have control. Now I feel like I'm actually able to still be in control. It's just a different type of control. I'm still able to kind of help guide the journey, right? And go with the medicine. Um, But it's not like what I perceived it to be previous to trying to them when I thought it was just like totally going out of control. Yeah. I know you're very tapped into the latest research and studies happening in the psychedelic space. So what are some recent things that have happened in maybe the last couple of months that you're really excited and encouraged about? Yeah. So I mentioned the map study. So, you know, we're expecting for maps to get full approval of MDMA for PTSD Q1 of 2024. So that's right around the corner, right? It's crazy to think 2024 is around the corner because it seems so far away, but yeah, we're in 2023. So 2024 is right around the corner. So that's going to be huge. MDMA right now, you know, ketamine is an FDA approved compound. It's schedule three and it's there's psychedelic assisted therapy going on with ketamine. But once MDMA is approved by the FDA, it will be approved as a pharmaceutical compound. I think it has the potential to heal so many people. So that's, that's very exciting. Um, we also small pharma, you know, one of the areas my fund is very, focused on is, is short acting psychedelics, because when you have depression or PTSD or one of these other indications, you don't really want to go into a center. At least it's not ideal to go into one of these centers and be there for six to 12 hours, which is what psilocybin and MDMA are. So we've started to look a lot at some of these short acting psychedelics like DMT, 5-MeO DMT. There's new chemical entities being uh, developed that will be short duration psychedelics. And there was for the the first, the, the biggest study just got finished by small pharma phase two clinical trial um, on DMT. I believe it was for treatment resistant depression or major depressive disorder, but the results were tremendous, right? So this now proves that you don't maybe need the long six to 12 hour, uh, you know, subjective hallucination experience. We might be able to actually achieve great efficacy even in a shorter period of time. So I'm very excited about that. Um, you know, Compass Pathway is starting phase three trials on psilocybin for TRD. USONA is about to publish their data on psilocybin for major depressive disorder. Uh, one of our portfolio companies, Clairvoyant, in June will be publishing their phase 2B uh, data on psilocybin for alcohol use disorder, which is a whole different category where our fund has invested a lot of money. We, I think that psychedelics have the ability to really heal so many people suffering from addiction. And it's kind of ironic whenever I say that to people who aren't familiar with the space, they're like, wait, you're going to replace a drug with a drug. And it's like, 
No, the, these compounds, psilocybin has a very, very low addiction profile. How many people do you know addicted to psilocybin? Oh, it, yeah. I don't know any. And I know a lot of people that take psilocybin. It's just not highly addictive, right? Um, but what it does is it opens up your mind and helps you reprocess and re-under understand and understand kind of the way and what's controlling you, especially for addiction, right? In addiction, you're so focused on whatever that addiction is, right? Every day you're waking up and you're thinking about it. Psychedelics help you zoom out from that and understand that's just one piece and I could control that piece. I got all this other stuff that I could focus my attention on. Yeah. That Google earth, right? Like it, it allows us to kind of zoom out and just see different parts of our life in a different way and build those new perspectives. Absolutely. That's so, so with the more short acting stuff, you know, again, a lot of these compounds, one of the beautiful things about them is that you don't need to take them every day, right? So many people have been spending the last decade of their life taking their Prozac or their Zoloft or their Lexapro, right? And they're terrified to ever wean off of this because it's become second nature to just take these things every day. And I think one of the beautiful things about psychedelics is like one experience can literally shift your reality in such a transformational way that you can never get from any pharmaceutical that's currently out there now. So with these short acting ones, would it also be, a, uh, would, it, would it be a less consistent practice or would it be kind of like regimented a couple times a week or is that kind of still all being figured out based on the compound and condition? Yeah, so I mean, it's all being still researched, but the important thing to understand that like, both the short acting and long acting are psychedelic, which means they have to be delivered at a clinic, right? So there's also like low dose or non hallucinogenic stuff that they're trying to develop that maybe could be taken at home. But with DMT, for example, very hallucinogenic, right? You need, you're going to be at a center when you take it, at least under the FDA uh, guidance, it, you're going to be at a center. Um, but what they're, so, so either way, it's not like you're waking up every day and taking DMT, right? Not, not like these SSRIs and benzos, you got them in your, your, your drug cabinet and you're taking them every day. That's not going to be like that for, for these short acting, but what they are researching is trying to figure out how much, how many times do you really need this experience? Do you need tune-ups? So one of the big things in the, in the compass phase two psilocybin research for TRD, which psilocybin is long acting. One thing they found is that there were issues with durability. So yes, people felt great, you know, a f you know, four weeks after, right. No depression symptoms, but they saw a fall off, right? So this idea that just one psilocybin experience and you're done. I think people are starting to kind of get away from that. Although for certain indications, I think it could help. Like, for example, we have a company that right now is focused on, um, on like distress from, or demoralization from end of life, uh, indication. So like if you're demoralized at the end of your life, one psilocybin experience, it makes sense, kind of helps you kind of look at death in a different way and, and you're kind of good. But for depression and PTSD and some of these other indications, it's my belief that you're going to have to, you're going to need a few different, you know, maybe every six months, maybe every eight months, maybe every 12 months. I don't know what it's going to be. That's what they're researching. And I think the same goes for the short acting psychedelics, you know, maybe, you know, in a, four week period, you have three experiences and then you come back six months later, check in with the doctor and maybe you have to have another three experiences. You know, something like that is what I would imagine. Yeah. And I think also another reason why it's important for people like you and I to be speaking about the power of 
psilocybin and other potential psychedelics is because we're embodying the other skills necessary to really cultivate the most benefit from these different compounds, right? Like hitting the gym, connecting to your body, breath work, being mindful of the foods you're consuming and, and the energy that you're putting yourself in, right? Because if you take this medicine and you don't do anything to actually integrate the other powerful practices, right? Like it defeats the purpose. Yeah. And, and like, I give a tremendous credit to some of the people that quite frankly, even five years ago, I thought they were like out there, some of these hippie people. Cause like they saw it before I did, but the problem, and these people are great people. The problem is, you know, that kind of hippie perception of it really was like what the stigma was. And it kind of, in a way, prohibited the industry from moving forward with science research and rigor, right? It was kind of like, what are these hippies talking about? But now you got people, you know, forget about you and I, you got celebrities and athletes talking about this, right? So when you have people like you and I, celebrities, athletes, people who are operating at a very high level, who go to the gym, who are, you know, committed to their, their family and have positive relationships or doing good on this planet. When you have these good examples, and not only do you have good examples who are, you know, using these compounds, but in many ways are attributing some of their success to these compounds, right? So many super successful people have said, you know, that psychedelics help them in their journey to success. So I think, you know, that's the key to breaking stigma. Biggest challenge in the industry is break stigma. The way you do that, we share our stories. You get more coach Jeremy's out there sharing their story, hitting big audiences, celebrities sharing their stories. And, and that's why I do the Soho panels that I do every month, right? The idea is to bring, you know, influential people to kind of share their story and hopefully change the minds of a lot of people and break down that stigma. Yeah. And one person who recently came out about his use of mushrooms was Prince Harry. And I think that was really big. I think that was really big because this is someone from the Royal family who's like supposed to be all like proper and all of those things. And when he just talked about how he was abusing drugs and alcohol following the loss of his mother, Princess Diana, and he was just numbing the pain and the trauma. I think a lot of people can relate to that. We've all dealt with some sort of loss and pain in our life. And it wasn't until he discovered the power of mushrooms that he was able to actually come to peace with parts of his past and move forward and not be stuck in a place of addiction and perpetual destructive habits. Right. And I think that's really dope. I actually referenced him in my TEDx talk because it happened like right before. So yeah, man, I think that's, yeah, think that's really dope. Look, yeah. I think all, all these celebrity stories are, are absolutely incredible. It's, it's kind of funny. Cause like it's the celebrity, like the celebrity stories are what everyone talks about and hears about. So whenever those stories come out, I get a million texts or whatever. It's like, there's never really anything too insightful that like you and I don't know, or like anyone in the industry doesn't know because yeah, these compounds are incredible, but it just shows the power of someone influential like that telling their story, people start to pay attention. And 
I truly believe we're going to get more and more of those stories as these compounds for their research and science is done. We have going stuff going on in Oregon, which I think is going to provide further evidence that these compounds, you know, the sky's not going to fall when Oregon rolls out their psilocybin program. And, you know, there's been an explosion of states right now that have bills filed that are looking to legalize psilocybin as well, way faster than I expected. If you talked to me 12 months ago, a lot of people asked me like, you know, what's going to happen with the state programs. And I was always like, the pharmaceutical is going to win out. That's the way it's going. Pharmaceutical space is progressing much faster, which it is. But the pace at which now the state sanctioned programs is picking up is absolutely tremendous. So Colorado just recently followed suit with Oregon. So Colorado and Oregon now have a legalized framework that they're rolling out, but you've got just like dozens of other states with bills and it's no longer just decriminalization. Most of those bill, bills include a decriminalized part. It's actually a regulated legal framework. So things are progressing from my perspective way faster than I expected a couple of years ago. Hmm. When do you think Colorado? Cause I'd much rather spend some time in Colorado than Oregon. Personally, <laughs> I fucking love Boulder. When do you think, is there any word when that'll kind of transpire? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, Oregon, they already opened up their applications in January. So January, 2023. So they're, starting to take in applications. They'll probably license some service centers, I would say in the next couple months or so. Um, Colorado, I would think their program probably is going to take, you know, six to eight months to get off the ground. Um, you know, passed a lot later than, than Oregon's measure 109. Um, there's a couple things in, in the Colorado. Uh, a lot of people think Colorado is going to be way more successful than Oregon. There's, there's certain aspects of it, but there, I think there's also parts of their regulations that I think will, uh, be a little troublesome, um, that I've brought up to a few people. Um, so we'll just kind of have to see how that all gets rolled out. Yeah. As we're having this conversation, I just kind of thought of all of the different use cases, right. Of these different compounds. I met this guy at my event and he came up to me and apparently you probably know the company and he's like, he's involved. I don't know if he's the founder or co-founder of a company that's working with potentially psilocybin and erectile dysfunction? Um, we've, uh, we've talked to several companies that are working, uh, you know, one is working, it's not psilocybin, but another psychedelic compound for um, premature ejaculation. Um, we also, there's a lot of research right now going on with 2CB and MDMA for female sexual dysfunction. Um, haven't really seen companies doing erectile dysfunction. However, I could totally see it happening. Uh, makes sense to me. I mean, certain compounds, I don't know about psilocybin. I, from my personal experience, I think MDMA might be a better compound to go after for that one. Dude, but it's so interesting. You say that <laughs> it's so, cause like they, it's like a classic thing. Like, like once you have sex on ecstasy, you can never go back. And bro, whenever I've done Molly, I can never get it up. Oh, we are the complete opposite. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I've, I've heard that from from several people now. I mean, I'm I'm literally the the total total opposite. Your soldier is saluting you. Very very yeah, very much saluting. And it's it's you know from a, the the indication of premature ejaculation. When I was first talking to this company, we were looking to invest in. They were, uh, you know, they're re, I, I'm under confidentiality, but they're researching a, a certain plant that if I said it, you guys would know about. But it's a psychedelic plant. Um, and I never tried that plant, but I had tried MDMA and I will tell you MDMA, not only 
helps me stand to it at attention, but it also prolongs the ejaculation oh, wow. sig- significantly. Um, just from my experience, everyone, you know, is dealt with differently. So interesting. So I can see, you know, there, but that, but people do suffer from these things, right? Like, you know, people suffer from premature ejaculation. So for me, someone who doesn't suffer from that, but who has experienced the, ex- the, the extension of time, you know, logically, I think it's something that makes sense to, to research, but we ended up not investing because that's a, actually a very, very difficult indication to go after. If you yeah. think about it, you know, we have one guy on our team who worked at Pfizer and they did some, some work on that and they kind of abandoned the program. If you think about it, it's not that you don't want the person, you want to prolong the ejaculation, but you don't want to prolong it too long. Right. So you kind of need to develop a drug. That's like this perfect sweet spot. That's also, but that that's also where other practices come into play. Right. Because like if you're tapped into your breath and your nervous system and you know how to regulate these things, then that all impacts the way that you secrete and share your juices with the world. Yeah. And what's so interesting, uh, especially on like the, the female sexual dysfunction side of it, we've seen a couple companies actually trying to develop, whether it be 2CB or MDMA or some other intactogen, they're trying to develop compounds for, and, and by the way, huge, huge population suffering from this is very unfortunate, female sexual dysfunction. But what's interesting is most of that is trauma-based, right? There's some trauma that's gone on that is, you know, causing this female to not be able to enjoy the experience or whatever. Um, and so it's interesting because the psychedelic compounds, as we talk to these companies, what they were struggling to figure out is like, yes, these, these psychedelic compounds help with like the experience of sex, but what a lot of them are actually focused on is the, the fact that psychedelics help with trauma. So it's not that you're even taking the psychedelics during sex. It's actually taking the psychedelic compounds with your partner or by yourself or a a variety of both and dealing with the trauma that is preventing you from having an orgasm or enjoying sex. So it's it's almost like a twofold approach where it's like, take the psychedelic to deal with your trauma, but also take the psychedelic so that you could actually have a better experience during, during the time of sex. Yeah. I mean, I recently read that over 50% of women never experience an orgasm through vaginal penetration. And I think a huge reason for that is because of trauma, right? Like not feeling safe to fully like trust a partner, right? And that plays a huge role in building intimacy and being able to have those experiences. hundred percent. And you know, I, I know it's funny that two guys talking about females are probably watching this, like, these, mother, these guys don't know what they're talking about, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but no, look, I mean, in all series, I know sex is sometimes a uncomfortable topic for a lot of people, but you know, so much um, of, especially with females and males is mental. So much of everything is mental. Forget about sex. I mean, so much is just mental. That's why placebo is so hard to beat in these clinical trials. I mean, placebo has like a 25 to 30% efficacy rate because your mind is so powerful. And in particularly, I feel for, for, for females to, you know, whether they have an orgasm or not, or whether they enjoy sex or all that stuff, not only is there trauma, but it's also how comfortable they are with your partner. That's why, you know, I've heard many girls say, and I don't have any empirical evidence on this, but you know, they, it's easier for them to orgasm with a partner that they've been with for a long time. They're just more comfortable. They don't have their, their guard up. So they're able to kind of relax and actually enjoy it. And it, I think it's kind of the opposite for guys. 
guys. It's like guys in that first experience, like they tend to actually get off quicker when it's kind of their first experience. And after they've been with the female for a certain amount of time, maybe, you know, it's not happening as quick as, as it would otherwise. So it's, it's a weird situation we're in, in the female male dichotomy with sex. That's really interesting. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really interesting. Like that. And it's, it's very, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of times too, these pharmaceutical drugs that have just become normalized in society also really disrupt our gut health, our hormones, and they disconnect us from our true essence in our body. And I think that's a huge reason too for potentially sexual dysfunction or not being able to orgasm or premature ejaculation, whatever it may be. And yeah, I, I, I think everyone should have that experience of being able to experience all of those things. I mean, well, I used to be very mental though about like sex and be like very in my head, like, like you can't come before she does. You know what I mean? And like, I'd feel guilty about it if I did. And now I really, <laughs> now, now you don't care so much. no, no, now, no, now, now, now I'm really just committed to fully being present in the experience. And usually the result is a reflection of that. Yeah. And like, if she comes first, amazing. If I come first one time, okay. Like it's not the end of the world. Like I'm not going to feel guilty or shameful about it. Yeah. Like, you, you don't, you don't get in, you don't get in your head about it. Uh, yeah. You know, though I think as you get older, also you just have like less judgment. Like I similarly, like when I used to like, if I liked a girl and I went on a date or whatever, when I was younger or, you know, and she didn't like me back, I'd be like, Oh, like it would like beat me up inside. Now as you get older, you realize like none of us are better or worse than the other. Like, it's not that I'm a better dude. If the girl does like me, it's not that I'm a worse dude. If, if the girl does, doesn't like me, it's like, at the end of the day, some are going to like you, some aren't, some you're going to vibe with, some you're not. And there's just less judgment. It's like, you, you just, you, you're there, you're yourself. And if it works out, fantastic. If it doesn't, just not meant to be. And you kind of move on. Same idea with sex. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to perform, you're going to do what you're going to do, but you know, you can only do the best you could do. But, you know, back to your con connectivity comment, you know, if you think about the, the essence of life is really connection with humans, nature, and the planet in general. It really is. Like if you, if you were put in space to just orbit in space for 300 years and you had a billion dollars that you could orbit into space with, you'd literally go crazy. If you had no human or any piece of nature, anything to interact with, your mind would literally, are you even alive? Imagine orbiting in space for 200 years with no one to talk to, no nature, no anything. Are you even alive? So, so connectivity is really like the essence of life and what psychedelics do. I mean, I'll, you know, my first MDMA experience in particular, I mean, oh my God, like the amount of connection you feel to the other person on MDMA, like the way, you know, and with MDMA, you know, your amygdala is responsible for like fear and emotion and your amygdala is just like turned down and your heart is open and you feel this unbelievable, just like sense of compassion and love and connectedness with everyone around you. And the, the key for me with my first MDMA experience is a lot of people talk about like the MDMA, MDMA blues or whatever it is. Like after that first MDMA experience, I was actually on like a high that I'm still on because what it opened up was just this window that I was unaware of about my capacity to love. Right. So I could have just gone. I think a lot of people, they have that experience. Like, Oh, that was cool. That was just like the compound. And then they go about their life and they don't even think about it. 
But all that compound did was show you, you have the capacity to love and be so connected. And we are all so interconnected. And if you stop and reflect and you journal, you do the necessary integration, you could have that feeling of compassion and connectedness every day thereafter without taking the medicine. So I think connection is a key to all of this. Wow. That was, gotta give you some stuff on that, bro. <laughs> that was dope. No, that's dope. Yeah, like all of these compounds show you what you already have within. And that also includes people who use alcohol to be more social and be more open, right? I hear that a lot. Like, hey, you know, a couple drinks really allows me to just like let my guard down and stuff like that. Understand like that's already within you. If alcohol can bring it out, you already have that capacity within. Yeah, people, like, I, I think it's so funny, like, you know, people say, like, I'm a better dancer when I'm drunk. Like, no, you could dance like that. Like, like you just, just don't just, give a fuck now. Yeah, You're yeah. not addicted to other people's opinions and judgments. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally, I mean, look, I say to myself, like, I'm, I'm a hell of a dancer when I'm drunk. When I'm not drunk, I'm not, probably not dancing. But it's like, no, you have it within you. Those same moves, you can still feel the music in the same way. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're not drunk, you just got to kind of like let your, let your body get there. But, you know, and once again, like, being drunk and showing yourself, hey, I do have these moves, should tell yourself like, okay, the next day when I'm not drunk, like you have those moves within you, try to bust them out. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fire. I remember like, bro, the first time I ever did, like I haven't actually done LSD that often, like a couple times. The first time was senior year in college and I was with like my homies. We all did it together and we chilled at the park uh, in Eugene, Oregon, funnily enough. And it was, it was so funny because like Frisbee's huge there. Everyone plays ultimate Frisbee. And I, and I could always throw the Frisbee like this way normally, right? But I can never do it the reverse way. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. the flip way. And bro, I was just chilling, like sitting on the lawn, like feeling, feeling all of that intensity and magic from the LSD. And I literally just, without even thinking effortlessly, it's like a perfect toss, bro. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like I could do it all along. I was just so attached to not being able to do it. I was like forcing it and trying so hard. I was just like, yeah, that's I why, you know, it, your perception like creates your reality. You know, you had that first bucket hat post where you told yourself, I look weird in bucket hats, but then you told yourself you look good in bucket hats. And now I see you rocking bucket hats all the time. Like, you know, sometimes people say I look bad in this, or it's like, if you keep telling yourself that, yeah, like that's what reality will come. Perception goes reality. So yeah, I think, you know, so much of, of life is just like mindset, manifesting it, what you want and just having the right perspective on things. And it could totally shift the reality. What's something for you, maybe that you're currently working through a challenge and obstacle. Cause I think it's very easy for people to listen and hear and see like, Oh, Dustin, like he's Jack. He's a good looking dude. He's successful. Like he's got it all going on. Like so what, what's something maybe that you're kind of working through right now, whether it's personally, professionally, yeah, I mean, look, I'll be, I'll be very honest, you know, I have my own mental health problems, you know, and, and, and honestly, I actually wasn't even aware of it until I started using psychedelics. Like, you know, I kind of grew up in a household where it was like, play sports, be a man, no excuses, don't complain. So like, I had time periods in my life, like now when I sit back and reflect back, I, I was just like, kind of chalked it up, like, oh, I'm just having a bad day, like, or I'm having a bad week 
keep going and wake up. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm miserable, but like, I'm not telling myself like I have a mental health problem going on right now. Right. But now like through, and I wouldn't even say through psychedelic, it's really through my work in just mental health space and just being more aware of like what mental health means. I become much more aware of like my own personal issues. And there are days where I wake up and I feel empty. You know, there's, there's many of those days. Right. And so, you know, for me, it's just, you know, I always, I always say the key to life is just being happy, be happy. Right. Like I don't care if your goal is to get married and have children or your goal is to be single. My goal is to be happy. Right. So, you know, I think that's, that's kind of like one of the challenges people have just have a full commitment to happiness and understand you're going to have bad days. Everyone has bad days. Um, but you just got to acknowledge it and do the things that are necessary to kind of get you out of that rut. Um, but, you know, just as, as an example, you know, I'm, I'm a single male, you know, and, you know, sometimes, you know, some of my married friends or guys with girlfriends, oh, you're, you're like, oh, this must be awesome being single. It's like, no, there's times where it's pretty damn empty, right? Like, you know, you date, been single for, you know, without like a long-term girlfriend for about four years now, right? And so you don't have like... And I, and I used to, and you know, when I was with my, my ex, we were dating for years, you know, I didn't go out very much, you know, she was filling me up with what it was that I, I wanted. Right. And it was funny. Cause then we broke up and my, my ex, she asked me, you know, like, Oh, now you're all of a sudden going out and you're doing all this stuff. Like I always wanted to go out, but you didn't want to go out. I'm like, it's because I'm trying to fill like a void, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I didn't go out, I didn't see people, like I'd literally just be working and working out, which I do a hell of a lot of, and like I need to go out. So, you know, I think there's uh, you know, you could date as many girls as you want and meet them and have fun with them. But, you know, at times, you know, it, it, it feels a little bit empty. So I would say, you know, those are kind of the things that I, I struggle with. On the one hand, I, I think kind of monogamy and, and kind of being with one person for the rest of your life, I haven't fully bought into that um, concept, but I also think, um, you know, not having just one person and having different relations with other people, it kind of leads to a somewhat, although in the short term, maybe excitement and, and a kind of a dynamic lifestyle, but it also in the long term, I think does lead to a bit of emptiness. So I think that would be one of the things I, I struggle with trying to figure out where I truly fall on that subject matter. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, bro. Um, and it's also important to understand like what happiness means to you and what success means to you. I was reading uh, Naval Ravikant's book and like one of his quotes really resonated. It was that happiness is peace in action, right? And peace is happiness at rest. And yeah. I think oftentimes like when we refer to happiness, what we're really referring to is like a level of inner peace where we just feel complete we don't feel like we're chasing something. We don't feel like we're lacking. We feel really in a place of gratitude, knowing that we have everything we need. What helps me like in like for like from a gratitude perspective, like I have tremendous gratitude, you know, I'm just like so grateful for every breath I'm able to take. But one thing like when I am down and like this helps, I, I kind of try to put it in perspective, like 200 years from now, and some people, by the way, think this is sad. I actually use it as like a inspiration to be happy. But 200 years from now, 
no one will probably know your name. Maybe, maybe if you're lucky, like grandchildren of yours, maybe will be 300 years from now, for sure. Like no one, unless you're someone like a president of the United States or someone famous. And even then they, they know your name, they know their story. They don't know you. Right. So, and then you talk about thousand years from now, which by the way, is not a long time when you talk about the, the, the length of time of this planet, right? A thousand is nothing. Right. So like we think our lives are just so important and like, we're so stuck. The only perspective we could see this world is from our own perspective. As much as we try, like I perceive the world, my reality is the way I perceive reality. Everyone perceives reality differently. And once you recognize as, as important and stressful as work is, or all the stuff that you're thinking about, you think it's so important and all this pressure is on me. You doesn't, doesn't really matter all that much in the grand scheme of things, right? It's not worth getting stressed out about. We're on this planet. We are just these living organism that have this unbelievable blessing of being on this planet for a very, very short period of time, which by the way, the odds of us being on this planet are like a gajillion to one. I don't know what those odds are, but it's like the fact that my, the, the sperm and the egg met to create me, to give me this short period of time on this earth is such an absolute blessing. So you got to just literally try to soak it up and enjoy as much of it as you possibly can. So whenever I'm trying to, I'm kind of getting stressed and I think the world's on my shoulders. I kind of just kind of sit back, meditate and, and try to really understand like none of it is that important. And also, by the way, I think on, on the flip side, whenever I'm overly excited about things, right? Sometimes I get good news and I'm like almost too high. Like the reality is, is that like the bad stuff will pass and the good stuff will pass. Life has a way of kind of like just balancing it out. So I think it's important to just kind of stay on a steady kind of happiness and gratitude level. Don't get overly worked up about the good stuff. Don't get overly worked up on the small stuff. Yeah. 400 trillion to one, Dustin. Four. Chances of you and I being born a human being. Is that what it is? 400 trillion to one? Yeah. Like the chances of our mother and father meeting in the first place, them staying together long enough, them being able to actually conceive a child, the sperm beating all of the other sperm in that race of life and connecting with that egg. And then, I mean, and, and then you go back to lineages, like your parents' parents, your grand, like, it's an absolute miracle that miracle. we've gotten this opportunity to live this small little moment that we call life. And then the odds of you and I being able to connect are even like lower than that. And we've had such a great relationship and we've been able to connect. Right. So like all these beautiful things happen in life and it's important you just stop and have gratitude, not for the money, not for success, like just for this simple idea that you've been granted this life that you had such little odds to be granted. Mm. I think that's a beautiful place to kind of wrap up this first rendition of our podcast. Um, I'm really grateful for you, man. Speaking of gratitude, grateful for your friendship, your mentorship, and excited to continue growing together, building together, co-creating. And um, yeah, man, it's been, it's been really fun. And just want to see, like, is there one final message that you have for the world? Anything that we didn't touch on that you want to quickly talk about and then make sure to let people know where they can connect with you. 
Absolutely. Uh, no, no, no specific message uh, to leave with. Just, you know, hopefully maybe people got some positive things to take from this. One of the more important things I think is just have gratitude. You know, gratitude, I think, leads to happiness. Um, as far as where they could find me, um, my Instagram is Dustin R10. I know a lot of your content's on Instagram, D-U-S-T-I-N-R-1-0. Um, also, if you want to see any, like, my work I do, uh, Eater Investments com is my investment fund i-t-e-r investments.com we also have a venture study studio called it's with nucleus.com my law firm is mr cannabis law.com we'll link to all these yeah i got a whole list of items yeah 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 no it's dope man it's dope uh all the shit that you're up to and i'm glad that you're also prioritizing your mental health in the process and um yeah, man, this was fucking dope. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. We talked about it. all things. We <laughs> talked about sex, psychedelics, fucking erectile dysfunction, Molly, <laughs> monogamy. We got to dive deeper into some of these for round two. But anyways, Thrive Tribe, you already know what time it is. Yo, it's time to reprogram the subconscious, tap into the medicine, and remember that you are the medicine. Let's get it, y'all. Oh my goodness, you made it until the end of this podcast and I'm so grateful for you just really committing to your health and to your transformation. So just take a moment to appreciate and acknowledge yourself for making it until the end. And I really hope that you take at least one thing that you heard today and implement it into your life because knowledge is not power. Knowledge is potential power. It requires you to take action and implement these different practices and principles into your life. And I'm here to support you every step of the way. So again, word of mouth is my oxygen. I don't do this for money. I just do it to cultivate community and help you enrich your life. So if you gain value from the show, share it with a friend, share it on your Instagram story, tag me at coach Jeremy 305. And if you want to see the video version of this episode, go check out our YouTube channel because again, when you see things, sometimes it brings them to life and you can really see different parts of this conversation and the relationship dynamic with each guest. So again, fam, thank you. Thank you so much. You already know what time it is. It's time to take action on your dreams and thrive.